only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Please turn with me to Psalm 32, found on page 462. Uh, yes, this time in the blue book. <laughs> Psalm 32, continuing to speak about worship and come to this subject of confession. Most of the worship arrangements that we have, we have a a time of confessing your sin, a time of assurance of pardon. The idea of our always bringing our sin before Him, acknowledging our sin, and then continually receiving His grace. And as we've talked about worship being a formation, this isn't just something we come to express, but it's something to form us so that we keep doing that all the time. You know, it's, it's a training ground. This is how you worship God. This is how you live in fellowship with God. This isn't just a practice on Sunday morning, but this should filter into the way we live before Him. And so we want to explore that idea of confession and how we'll see this especially in a nearby psalm that covenant keepers are those who confess their sin. Covenant keepers are not those who are perfect, who never do anything wrong. Covenant keepers are those who confess their sins regularly and acknowledge their sin before God. And I hope this will be an encouragement to confession and kind of a relief in some ways of what it means to keep covenant with God. Now, this Psalm 32 is quoted by Paul in a critical place in his huge treatise, his major treatise called the Book of Romans. And in that treatise, after he talks about our sinfulness talks about God's forgiveness of our sins through Christ. And then he comes to this passage to show that this is not something new in the New Testament time, that this always was the way God deals with his people in forgiveness. And he quotes Psalm 32 to show uh, this truth. So we read, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. 
You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Thus the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our understanding and application. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we thank you that the same spirit that gave this word is the spirit who attends us, who is poured out in our hearts through Christ, and who will enable us to hear your word and to to bring it to bear in our lives, and Lord, to live it out in new ways. We trust you that you will do this by your powerful spirit. Amen. Well, the first thing that strikes you in the first point is the happiness of the one who confesses his sin. The happiness of the one who confesses his sin. And you have to notice right off the bat, it does not say, oh, the happiness, and that's the word blessed, means you could translate it, oh, the happiness of the one. Oh, the joy, oh, the shalom, oh, the richness uh, of the one whose transgression is forgiven. It doesn't say the one who hasn't sinned, it hasn't sinned. It assumes sin, and the happiness is for those who confess their sin, okay? It's not like, well, there are some who don't sin, but happiness is for confessors, okay? Happiness is for confessors. It's transgression that is forgiven. It's sin that is covered. It's iniquity, but God does not count it against that person. Three times. It's underscoring the fullness of sin, the far reach of sin, and yet just as much the far reach of forgiven uh, of forgiveness. And it says it in three different ways, three different kinds of mention of sin, three different ways to say that it's, you're released from it. Forgiven, covered, it's not counted against you. And one thinks of Luke 18 in which the Pharisee, in all of his prayer before God, as Jesus tells this parable, mentions nothing about his own sin. Nothing. He doesn't say one thing that he ever had done wrong. He talks about what he's done right. He talks about what he's avoided. And, he's, and, and Jesus says in Luke 18 that Jesus is speaking this to those who thought that they were righteous and held others with contempt. And no doubt, he's including in that number fellow Pharisees, and no doubt those Pharisees, upon hearing this Pharisee's prayer about how good he's been, were like... Right on, brother. You're the man. You are the man. You have been tithing. You have been uh, keeping prayer. You have avoided adultery. You're the man. And, of course, the pity that they would feel, and, and really not just pity, but despising this tax gatherer, not only for what he's done, but despising him because 
all he can bring before God is this measly request, have mercy on me, the sinner. You can imagine from their perspective, dude, you're not bringing anything to the table. You know, you're not bringing any good. You're not bringing any avoidance. You're bringing nothing. You're just plopping your ugly, horrible, sick, stenching sin and putting it in front of God. You ain't got a chance, dude. There's no possibility that you're going to be received by God. Look at how, look what this guy's done. Look, And of course, the last of the parable, as many of you know, Jesus says, I tell you. And, and it, the way he phrases it is, this will be a shocker to you. However, the one who said, have mercy on me, the sinner... He's the one that walked away in fellowship with God. He's the one who walked away justified, forgiven by God, happy in God, not this one. He continued to be alienated from God because he was not a confessor. He would not recognize his own sin before God. And most of the world, if they ever get to the point of even thinking Uh, of God in any possibility that he could be a holy God, uh, a God who does desire obedience. Uh, We all feel like there's something we have to bring to him. There's something we can bring to him, some way that we can avoid admitting what we really are before this God. And it's interesting in this uh, very uh, passage, a word, well, first I want to look at the... uh, a different passage that brings up the same word as an introduction. But in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, it says, Whoever conceals or covers his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Notice the contrast. Covering your sin, hiding it, making excuses, saying it's because of somebody else, something they did, it was my upbringing, whatever, rather than facing the the terrible darkness of what I really think, what I really feel, what I really want in life. Whoever conceals it will not prosper. And of course, the psalmist was saying that. He says, when I kept silent, look what happened to me. I was miserable. My life started to break down in every way. I couldn't function. Now, I want to talk later about why this is a good thing that he couldn't function. It was a sign of his belonging to God that he couldn't function as he hid his sin. But it says, whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And the idea of confessing, of course... Sometimes we hear that forsaking part. You say, well, that's it. That's the part that gets me right there, is forsaking it. That's the part that where I'm not going to have mercy because I have confessed, but sometimes I don't really forsake it because I fall into it again. But it, it means that there's a confession, an agony that I have done this against God, that I have hated His will, that I've hated His beauty and His glory. I've despised Him in this, and I truly confess it with an intense heart to say, Oh, Lord, I want to leave this. Enable me to leave it. It's that fundamental idea. It doesn't mean you're going to perfectly 
keep that, but it's this sincere, sincere desire to leave this sin, to hate this sin. Well, in this passage, that word concealed is used twice. And it's very interesting how it's used. Because he says in verse uh, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. And acknowledge is the general word to know in the Old Testament, but it's got this particular verb form that means I made known. I announced, I proclaimed to you. I made known my sin to you. I acknowledged it. I didn't cover it anymore. And then uh, another way to put it is, I confessed my transgression and you forgave me. But here's the interesting thing. That's the same word that's used in verse 1. When he said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Do you see, either I'm going to be trying to cover my sin, which is deadly and destructive to me, or I will openly acknowledge it and confess it, and then he'll really cover it. Okay? And it, really, you're choosing between which covering. Your covering of subterfuge, of deceit, of not acknowledging what you really are, what you really think, what you've really done to your own destruction. And if this is your lifestyle, if this is your whole approach to God, that I can't admit my sin to God, maybe God is a kind of idol that you've made up in your own mind. So he's a God who doesn't show mercy, who won't forgive sin. You don't see him as he is in Christ Jesus, the one who gave his own son to die in the place of sinners so that they can have forgiveness. That's, that's the revelation of God. I, this, is, this is me. This is who I am as God. I reveal myself in my son. I come in the person of my son to take on flesh so that I can live a perfect life, die in the place of sinners, and offer them that death for their complete forgiveness. So that in my son you will have no condemnation. I offer that to you. That's the kind of God I am. Now we can, we can just say no to that. We can say... I, I'm not going to submit to those terms. I'm not going to admit that I'm that much in need of forgiveness. I can't believe that you're that merciful. I just deny you, you know. I deny that you're that merciful God, and we won't trust in Him, and therefore we won't find the happiness, the only happiness that human beings really can have in life. The only true happiness that we can have in life is to be able to fully unbear ourselves before God and find forgiveness. Happiness belongs to confessors. And it's interesting as Paul in that same book of Romans that I mentioned, in his uh, describing what God has done in the way of convincing us of our sin as humankind, he says, uh, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, speaking of Jews, so that if the Jew, if this happens to the Jews, it replies to the whole world. And he says, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And the idea is that the law is so strenuous in its application because it requires perfect love to every person all the time and perfect love and devotion to God. Which, when you hear that, you think, oh no, <laughs> yikes. I don't, there's not a day, there's not an hour where I perfectly love anybody or perfectly love and trust God. But it says, so that every mouth may be stopped. The idea is the mouth 
like the Pharisee that's saying, look what I've, or hey, I've done this, I've avoided. It's to stop every mouth in its tracks. You just, oh no. There's no hope outside of God's mercy. Our first question that we ask is, do you see yourselves as sinners without hope, save for the sovereign mercy of God? And that's what we're talking about. Without hope, except for His mercy. He says later in Romans, at the end of a huge section, God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. So here's the thing. There's so much talk in this world about spirituality, about experiencing God and being in touch with God in some way. And uh, I experienced God through, you know, the things around me or maybe your view or the view out there is pantheistic that God is a part of everything. And uh, so there's these various experiences of God But Scripture says you will not have any fellowship with God. You will not know Him except as He has mercy upon you. Because He shut up everybody to disobedience so that He might show mercy. There is no fellowship, no knowledge of God, no experience of God apart from mercy. That's it, which means... There must be confession to experience this wonderful mercy of God. And so apart from Christ, who fully reveals God's mercy, and He fully reveals our need of mercy, because He had to bear the wrath of God on the cross so that we could obtain mercy. The cross is the greatest announcement of God's mercy, and it's the greatest announcement of your need of mercy. Because the Son of God had to bear the eternal wrath of God so that you could know mercy. But He did it willingly. He did it gladly. It says in Jeremiah, as I prayed, that He rejoices over us to do us good. He rejoices over us to provide mercy. And the understanding from the Lord's Prayer is that this is a regular way we relate to God. Jesus says, He just teaches us, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is, this is the way we live before Him. We're constantly confessing, constantly standing against our sin, constantly embracing and enjoying the mercy of God, being sustained and strengthened by that mercy so that we, in a humble way, might show mercy and love to others. That's the Christian life. Only confessors are lovers of people. Okay? Only confessors are lovers of people because only confessors are experiencing the mercy and love and forgiveness of God, and and only in that way can we live that out. To others, Only that way can you live that out to your husband or your wife. There are no deeply loving husbands except for those that are confessing their sins. <clears throat> and the, the parable about the 
tax gatherer saying, Lord, have mercy on me. The sinner is not a one-time thing. It is the way he lived before God. The indication there is this is who he was. This is what he had become, a confessor of his sin and one who was regularly enjoying the mercy and grace of God. So happiness is in confessing. But I want to say a second and last thing, that holiness is in, is, consists of confessing. Happiness consists of confessing, and holiness consists of confessing. <clears throat> Again, with the Lord's Prayer, this is, he's describing here how people live in the kingdom, okay? In that whole uh, kingdom sermon, Sermon on the Mount, about the kingdom uh, participants. And so he's describing how you regularly live before God in the kingdom. The relationship with a holy God, and it never assumes that we will be perfect with this holy God, but in living with this holy God, we must always take side against sin and always rest in His mercy. In this very psalm, notice what he says in verse 11. He says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, when we read that, we tend to read it as, the righteous are those who always do everything right. The upright in heart. Oh no, I'm not of the upright in heart. I don't, I don't always keep my life upright. But you see, he's including himself as the, one of the righteous. He's including himself as one of those who's upright in heart. And he's just said, I had kept silent about my sin. I fell into disarray. My humanity was falling apart as I neglected God and His mercy, and I can acknowledge my sin, and He forgave me my sin. Blessed is the man who is continually seeking God and asking Him to forgive sin. Blessed is the righteous. So the righteous are those who live in covenant with God and regularly are confessing their sin to God. Now, that's not an excuse to say, well, then it doesn't matter how I live, of course. But it does mean that we mustn't despair if we do sin because we have an advocate in Christ and we are given this encouragement in Psalm 32 to confess our sins. Um, Interestingly, when he says in verse 2, in whose spirit there is no deceit, you can read this in a way that, drives you away from uh, forgiveness. For instance, you can read this and say, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Oh, no. I've got a lot of deceit in my life. Yeah. I don't fit the bill. He, the, the happy is the one who's forgiven, but he's only going to forgive you if there's no deceit in your life. And I've got a lot of deceit. I've got a lot of sin in my life. But that's not what he's saying. Blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no dishonesty about his sin, who's not covering his iniquity, you see. It's, it's really saying the same thing as the first three, the one who's is forgiven, who's covered, to whom he doesn't count iniquity, is the one who has come forward and been honest and uncovered his sin before God and said, Lord, I am the sinner, have mercy on me. That's the person in whom there is no deceit, see? 
So in covenant with God, it doesn't mean that we're perfectly obedient, but it means that we have no deceit, that we're not playing games with him about our sin. We're trying to come forward, that we're more and more trying to recognize his mercy so that more and more we are free to ask him for forgiveness. If you'll back up, and and again, I hope you have the blue book out, the the Bible, and back up to Psalm 25, because I want to point out several things. That's back on page 459, or if you've not got your Bible out, you can grab one in front of you, because it's really important, I think, to see what's said here in Psalm 25. Three times in Psalm 25, he asks, or, yeah, he asks for God's forgiveness. Notice in verse 7, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. It's not small, it's not a little bit. My guilt is great before you, but for your name's sake, pardon it. And then finally in verse 18, consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. So three times, and to say it three times, probably it's intentional that it's three times to indicate I say it completely, I say it fully, I say it in every way possible. Forgive me of my sin. And in addition to that, there's verse 8, that good and upright is the Lord. He instructs who in the way? Sinners in the way. So here's the assumption that God is is instructing sinners because he's so good, he's so upright. He forgives our guilt for his name's sake. He wants to make known his name that he forgives sins. Isn't that encouraging? As he extends his mercy to you, it's as though he's saying, let me make my name great by showing you mercy. Let me glorify my name in extending to you mercy. All of this, and yet in verse 10, he says, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Now, you read that, as I've read it many times in the past, and I think, well, gosh, this leaves me out. I don't keep his covenant and his testimonies. I disobey him in many ways. And so I don't know if I have his steadfast love and faithfulness. Because I disobey him in so many ways. I don't keep covenant with God. Here's, here's the thing that's so important. He's putting himself in the, as one of the covenant keepers, okay? He's placing himself as one of those who keeps covenant, who keeps testimonies. And part of how he keeps covenant and keeps testimony is he confesses his sin. Get it? That's a part of keeping covenant with God. Part of keeping covenant is that I'm continually opening myself up. I'm continually humbling myself. I'm continually saying, oh, Lord, forgive me of my iniquity. Forgive my guilt, for it is great. He gives us a freedom to face our true selves. And in that way, a freedom to begin to face our true selves with one another. Because we're all only forgiven. We're all sinners forgiven. None of us is any better or any different than anyone else. We all have to have this same mercy, the same grace, the same violent death on the cross was required for each one of us. No exclusions. 
And so we need to create an atmosphere. And this is part of the reason that we come together to confess sin together, you see, to join hands and say, oh, brothers and sisters, let us come before the Lord and confess our sin. Let us come before the Lord as well and hear the assurance of pardon as it's announced to us. And then to go forth and say, I need to continue to confess my sin and continue to hear that assurance of pardon. I need to grapple with all the promises of God of mercy so that I can more and more freely confess and forsake my sin. And brothers and sisters, you only will confess and forsake your sin in the light of mercy. It's mercy. It's the attractiveness of giving yourself up to this God of love and kindness that causes you to want to leave your sin, to to give yourself more and more up to Him. That's why in Psalm 32, he says, don't be like a horse or mule without understanding. It has to be curbed with bit and bridle. In other words, in the wake of this abundant forgiveness, don't be resistant to his will. He's a gracious God. And in the New Testament, we can even say more, can't we? Who's given his son. Don't fight against this God. Don't resist this God or his will. This God of love who treasures you, who only desires your good, whose every command is for your good and your blessing. Don't be like a a mule or a horse that has to be driven to obedience, but gladly give yourself to this gracious God of love. And the encouragement in verses 6 and 7, not only that sin will not overwhelm us, but in whatever circumstance, the rush of great waters, the trouble, uh, that in every circumstance I should be encouraged to trust Him and to, to go to Him and pour out my heart to Him because He is this God of great forgiveness. And so confession in this way from verses 6 and 7 becomes the gateway to all of prayer, see? Confession is, in a sense, the gateway to praise. It's the gateway to all of our other supplications. If, if He's forgiven my sin in Christ, why, well, He'll do anything for me. He'll hear me in all circumstance. Because sin is the worst thing that I can bring to Him, right? But affliction, something done to me, that, that's a lesser thing. My own personal sin, that's the worst thing I could bring to Him. And He acts to forgive it. Oh, well, he'll hear me, whatever I bring to him. That's the feel of Psalm 32. So confession, without confession, there is no Christian life. There is no praise of God. There eventually will be no love of others. Husbands, you will become more and more a kind, patient, forbearing, forgiving, gentle, tender husband to the degree that you are humble and broken before God's mercy. And for many of you, the the reason you won't communicate with your wife, the reason you're hardened against her, the reason you resist her, the reason you're uh, uh, um, sullen sometimes and silent and won't admit that you're wrong, because you haven't admitted that before God. You're not repentant to her because you're not repentant before God. Ladies, the same to you. Many women who just can't bring themselves to admit that they've done something wrong. 
And, and usually that points out, I can't admit that I've done something wrong to God. I can't believe that he would show me mercy. So tenderness and forgiveness and a compassion for the lost, all of this is found in this experience of mercy. It's, it's a matrix out of which pours so much. Therefore, and I'll, I'll end with this, but this is Paul's immediate teaching in Ephesians. <clears throat> he does the same in Colossians, but I just will read to you at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. He says this, <clears throat> excuse me, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And the many is that all of these attributes of love to others are found, (laughs) are gained by the cultivation of experiencing God's forgiveness in Christ. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And if you are an unbeliever, maybe you've never trusted in Christ. Maybe your idea of God is that he's just kind of a grandfather in heaven. Or as I learned yesterday, uh, at least the uh, statistic, that 60%, they're, they're wondering why so many kids have this idea of uh kind of a benevolent deism uh, idea that, that God is basically, he, he, he'll come in and do some things maybe for me if I need him, but basically I'm on my own, he basically likes me, I'm okay, and he stays out of my life pretty much. And they were wondering, well, why do kids have this? And they found out it's because their parents, that this is like 60% of America really in, in a practical way just has this benevolent deistic idea, uh, deist idea of God. And I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted in Christ, that I'll just declare it to you. You can believe it or not, but you haven't known God till you know his mercy. And and the freedom to begin to be transparent in your life, the, the experience outside of yourself of this God who made you, who now has acted on your behalf to give you forgiveness and acceptance and to embrace you in perfect love and for that to become the source of everything that you do. Radical transformation of your life that then begins to change you over time for the rest of your life. So may God grant to us to see his mercy anew and to live as covenant keepers confessing our sin to this God. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to see where we've resisted you, where we've made you into an idol, Lord, where we've created a God of our own making, our own thinking, a God who is not a merciful God, a God who does not forgive us. Lord, we pray that you would attack and demolish our pride that doesn't want to come, doesn't want to admit what we really are. We want to hold on to our own righteousness. We want to hold on to our dignity. We want to say that I've, I've accomplished it. I've done it. I've earned it. I, I did it. 
Lord, it shows in how hard it is for us to admit to one another that we've done wrong. Lord, we pray that you would make us people who see your mercy in whole new ways, who see what you've done in Christ Jesus, the infinite degree to which you've gone to provide mercy. Lord, we pray that we will lay hold of this, that the only way to know you continually is to taste your mercy. And yet, Lord, that's one of the happiest things to think about, that we could relate to you on that level forever, always enjoying mercy and grace, always being able to be honest about our sin, and because of your mercy and grace, always being changed gradually, piece by piece, more and more, and to people that love others because we've been loved by this God. Make us those kinds of people, Lord. Humble, broken, those of whom you say you will dwell with us that are, that are broken and contrite of heart. Oh, Lord, dwell with us and form us to be a beautiful glory to the name of the God who shows mercy on sinners. We ask this in Jesus' name. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?